The information in this podcast is current on the day of recording. It is general advice only and does not take your personal situation into account. It may not be suitable for you. Participants in this podcast may also own the stocks discussed. Welcome to Stock Take. My name's Gaurav Sodi. Joining me today is analyst James Carlisle. Hey, James. Good morning. And with us also is Graham Whitcomb. Hey, Graham. Hi, Gaurav. Nice to have you gents aboard. Um, let's try and um, start and finish on time this week. So let's dive right into it. Graham, um, let's begin with you. There's been news about API, and you do know we like news. Um, I'm surprised <laughs> by the latest, actually. Did, tell us what happened, and I'd actually really like to get your reaction to it because you've um, it's a business you know over many years, um, and, and your reaction, I think, probably means a lot more than, um, than ours. So, uh, so go for it. We've had a, an, another offer. Yeah, I'm as surprised as you. So we've had a, uh, another offer for API from Sigma. Um, West Farmers had previously offered $1.55 to buy the business just uh, recently. And as far as I was concerned, that was going to be the end of it. West Farmers had increased their bid uh, already from $1.38. There'd been no other offers made by other companies. And then Sigma comes along yesterday and offers $1.57 for it. And that's, I think, surprising for a couple of reasons. Um, the first is that API had actually approached Sigma in 2018 with an offer that was more favorable towards Sigma than Sigma's own offer today. But Sigma rejected the previous one. So that's that's kind of one strike against Sigma's management. Uh, then the other surprising thing is that there'd already been a deal proposed between Sigma and API back in 2002, uh, but that one was rejected by the ACCC, so on uh, competition grounds. So, yeah, that's two two surprising reasons why Sigma Sigma's offer is just completely out of the blue, and I can't really explain what management was thinking or what their rationale is, but they they presumably think that. They've got a shot at getting it across the line, and it's most it's mostly shares as well, isn't it? Whereas West Farmers is cash, and it's only two cents more than West Farmers was bidding. Yeah, they're they're presumably thinking that they can cut a lot of duplicate expenses and so get the the kind of end value of the combined company a lot higher than each of them is worth individually, which might make sense, but it still kind of leaves. The problem of actually getting the deal across the line, which seems pretty remote. But for API point. shareholders, that would require the market to recognize the value of the deal right now and 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 get the share price and get, get Sigma share price up, wouldn't it? Yeah. So I mean, it, so as at the close yesterday, what did Sigma's share price do? It it didn't budge very much. It went up right. a little bit. So I mean, they're offering two cents more for a share. I mean, it seems. The premium seems very, very thin. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's, it's a surprise to me. <laughs> it's amazing what happens when someone threatens to take the thing that you've kind of got a half an eye on. You, you sort of get both eyes on it straight away, and you want it. Yeah, even more. <laughs> that's that's how I kind of picked it as well. Is it just it's just reminded me so much of the little kid that is like bored with their toy but then as yeah. soon as another child comes along and touches it then suddenly they they think it's the best toy ever again so uh that's what it's, it feels like this time it's a great reminder that uh, behind all these 
big brands and institutions is um, a couple of big kids most of the time, you know, and they're run yeah. by the same emotions and the same petty desires as as anyone else. Well, and yeah. it's pretty shocking that that um, so Sigma. So it was API bidding for Sigma two years ago, right, or three yeah. years ago, and they and presumably it was going to get rid of Sigma's management back then. And that and might that, be. <laughs> that's that it feels like that might be the difference which yeah obviously I agree. Would be, yeah yeah just shocking management if that's the case or well, it already feels like a pretty poor management from sigma yeah i think sigma's management has a lot to answer for with this yeah. one graham i wonder how much it has to do with sigma not really wanting to compete with west farmers and trying to stop a, a, a quite well managed and well-funded competitor from entering the space is is that would that have anything to do with it at all? Or do you think the, the West Farmers bid is irrelevant here? Well, I'm sure it's not irrelevant because the timing would be too perfect. But um, I can't imagine that that would be a huge influence. Mm, it shouldn't be, on, should it? Yeah. I mean, API is going to be run as a separate company. Mm. And yes, it'll have the maybe some extra financial, fire, financial firepower from uh, West Farmers backing, but it's still going to have the same regulatory issues. It's still going to have all of the pricing fixed and everything. So it's not as if API isn't trying its best to mm. cut costs as it is. This is such a competitive industry with such skinny margins that all three competitors are doing everything they can to keep costs down. So I'm not sure that West Farmers would have that much much of an impact, really. And then the regulatory hurdles. I, I just I just love the uh, the chutzpah. Is that how you say it, JC? <laughs> yeah, chutzpah. <laughs> chutzpah. Yeah, the chutzpah. Right. Sorry, thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of of these guys. I mean, there's only three players in the industry. I love that uh, that Sigma hilariously thinks that the ACCC is going to pass this through. Yeah, uh, I'd love I, to have seen what the ACCC's commissioner thought of this when they read the news. That it does just seem so. I don't know, bold and kind of nuts. <laughs> kind of nuts. Has, I think has the regulatory nice. environment changed? So they knocked it back in 2003. Were the regulations a bit looser back then? Because as I understand it, basically what they charge is set by regulation now. So yeah. there's an argument that the ACCC, you know, who needs competition if, 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 the, if there's a regulator who tells you what you can charge? I don't think that's changed significantly since then. It was... It is 20 years ago, but the community pharmacy agreements have been in place for a long time. So I can't imagine that it's uh, that, that has changed too much. And the industry and itself is still 90% in three players. So it's not as if there's suddenly it's become more fragmented or something like that that might shift it. I really don't see a huge But to what, to what extent do they, uh, is the pricing controlled? Is it so every five years it gets reset? Does it so there is so the ACCC would want to encourage competition so as to force people to reduce their costs or encourage people to reduce their costs so that after five years they can then set the prices a little bit cheaper or something like that? Is it? Yeah, so exactly. It's still eventually it's it does feed in, through. Yeah, yeah, and that was the justification for the first rejection was that it still does. You still do need a competitive industry, so there's that pressure on. Keeping price, uh, sorry, keeping costs low, so then you can flow through for the consumers to have lower and lower prices for the actual pharmaceuticals. Uh, and then there'd also be the case of service quality. There's service quality could go down if there just isn't the competition for it. Uh, though, like, to some extent, that's also 
uh, pre-written by different regulations on that they've got to meet. So yeah, I don't I don't see a huge difference since mm. 2002. And what do you anticipate the West Farmers' response would be? Is there enough enough gain for West Farmers to lob another bid and to to take control, or will they 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 pretty good at actually just walking away when, uh, yeah. when the terms don't suit? It's hard to know because I think that I mean our our belief is that API is still undervalued by both bids. So uh, we've got a sell price at a dollar seventy, which is where I think the valuation, the full valuation, would probably lie. So in that sense, West Farmers could still keep upping its bid, and I think it's still getting a pretty good deal. But the, uh, but the, but the West, might, sorry, go on. I was just going to say, but there might not be that pressure because I'm guessing West Farmers look at it as well and say, well, the Sigma deal is is unlikely to go through, so why do we up our bid? Um, but the, the West Farmers sure. bid at, at this stage has been approved. Yeah. Um, subject to a subject to a superior bid. So I suppose what Sigma are thinking is that, uh, or might be thinking, is that this is a superior bid. So that means that the board of API has to reconsider. And it, I mean, could they really be doing it just to frustrate West Farmers and? I don't think they could do it difficulty. to frustrate. It seems like a very expensive way of causing yeah. problems for people. I'm not sure what goes on with the due diligence behind the scenes, but I mean, maybe there's a benefit to being able to look in their books and see behind the scenes a bit more or something or other. But you'd think that API's board would recognize that as being an intention if it was there and so reject it. But um, yeah. And they haven't yet commented on whether they're going to allow Sigma to look at the books. I suppose they uh, no, they, they have granted Sigma oh, they have, the, yeah, right. okay. the permission. So, so does that mean West Farmers and Sigma are both looking at the books at the moment? Yeah, that's they're right. Both, they're both looking. There's a sort of data room, and they're both looking into yeah. it. Yeah. I wonder. Maybe we're looking at this from the wrong angle, right? We we know that Solpats was a really canny and um, quite a stingy investor. They like to capture every last remaining cent of value in their investments. I wonder if they it haven't doesn't. kind of. Just shopped it around and um, and knocked on Sigma's door and scared the pants off him and said, "Oh, West Farmers is coming. You better do something." You know, this seems like a. It seems like something. It seems in character with Soulpats, and to panic and make a a bad decision on the spot seems in character with for Sigma management. So that might uh, that might might square that circle. Does it, does it enable? I suppose it enables. Um... If if Sigma are giving shares, that that enables um, Solpats to roll their investment over, so they don't have to pay any CGT at this point. Is that right? If they get a hold oh, stake in Sigma, mm. is that something that they might find benefit? I mean, I, I'm just trying to work out why the share deal would be superior to the cash yeah. deal. Well, I don't think I don't think um, Solpats. They generally like having having covered Solpats for a long, long time. They generally. Uh, they, they really invest with managers. I, I would be surprised to see them holding uh, Sigma. In Sigma, yeah. Yeah, because well, right. it doesn't it's seem lousy management. So I, I'd and they'd be diluted. Yeah. I mean, so at the moment, their stake in API is how much? It's uh, 19%. Yeah. And 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 Sigma, that would be diluted within Sigma by what, half? I'm... I haven't yeah, done the sure. math. Yeah, but it would be diluted by some degree, wouldn't it? So they're, 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 they're yeah, who knows? In any case, so Graham, what should um, if you're a shareholder in API, if we took up your excellent recommendation and bought stock at a much lower price, what would um, what would you suggest now? 
well, I'd be just sitting back and enjoying the show for now. <laughs> there's there's no no need for anyone to act, and there's no uh, formal proposal that anyone has to vote on. So pretty good show. It is, get... I've got to say, yeah, <laughs> one eighteen, wasn't it? I, I have All to the say, twists I, and thought turns. Of, I thought about it myself for about five minutes, and then oh, oh no. I don't know. It seemed like a good idea. It seemed a bit too obvious, and maybe it, I mean, there you go. Sometimes those opportunities are, are the good ones. No, I remember that uh, Dragons Den, Graham. The um, the regulatory complexity was immense and um i was actually super interested but i just didn't have any cash i'm, I'm tapped out you know buying coal stocks and whatnot and I, just, um... <laughs> <laughs> I think it just um it's actually a reminder that sometimes uh it's a bit like ale i suppose and ale yeah. is one that i did buy yeah. and sometimes you can think well the returns aren't that great it's not that, it's not this is not going to 10 bag over 10 years um but you know sometimes the certainty or the the confidence, not, there's never any certainty, but the confidence you can have in a thirty percent undervaluation mm-hmm. is is uh, is a good enough reason to invest. And you don't need that ten bagger if you can be comfortable. You don't need because because something will happen, like a, a takeover bid, to to correct that undervaluation. And and well, and in fact, ale's been bid for as well. So mm. sometimes you know you don't you you only need. When when you've got the good confidence that something is is undervalued by a bit, you don't need that massive upside for it to be realised and to make a good return in a short amount of time. So true. It also tells you about where we are in the cycle. Where um, I, I had that similar thought, JC, for ale. I know you've been you've been banging on about ale for for a long time, and I didn't buy it because I thought, oh, it's a you know it's a thirty percent or so, and it wasn't enough. <laughs> and, but uh, if you get it quickly enough, thirty percent's pretty time. good. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. And I guess that's the point. And and if the if you if there's enough confidence in that undervaluation, then someone mm. will someone else will come along and and recognise it. I think that's in a roaring bull market though, where things are going up so much so fast. It doesn't that seems. But modest. I guess that's why you get yeah. The, the, why 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 they're priced cheaply because Absolutely. everyone's ignoring them. And, yes, um, that's right. Uh, so I think they're good opportunities and, uh, this has been a good one and unfortunately not for me. Um, <laughs> uh, well, let's move along to, um, to Karoon actually. Yeah. So, uh, a couple of stocks have reported, um, kind of in weird cycles and it just got me thinking, uh, so Karoon, uh, I wrote up the results, um, and alongside Kroon, I think a day or two apart, uh, New Hope, which is our, one of our long-standing coal recommendations, they reported as well. And New Hope's result was was a cracker. Um, the the most astounding thing about New Hope was that the coal prices received in the last quarter were two x what they received in the first quarter. And I've never seen a more stark uh, performance differential from quarter to quarter than I saw in New Hope's result. In the last, so they made what three hundred million or so in in um, operating profit, right? In the last uh, quarter, they made about about fifty percent of their entire yearly profit came in that last quarter, and in the last month, um, about thirty percent of their entire uh, profit came in the last month. So you could see. And that, how much do they make with the coal price at half? Are they making losses? Uh, no, no, they're making profits. Right. But just not just not big profits, just just, just modest profits. Uh, so they have actually, I think theirs is like the third lowest cost mine in Australia. And it, it's one of the lowest cost mines in the world, thermal coal mines. So it's very attractive economics here. I, I, we, that's why I think 
I was too quick, really, to jump into New Hope because I know that Bengala asset reasonably well, and and um, I knew it was a, a very low cost operation. I thought can't really lose from here, and it turns out you can. Uh, yeah, we're just too early jumping into into that thing, but I think it's it's all going to end really well, and um, and we all know the coal story is doing wonderfully well um, now. At, at the same time, we had Karun reporting as well. And look, their results were, I'd say, okay. The the thesis there is working out. We're getting really good cash flows coming through. Production's coming along nicely. And um, and that was the first time they're reporting results as a producer after nearly 20 years of being in business. So it's it's coming along nicely. But you, you look at where oil prices are and look at where oil equity prices are, and there's a really stark disparity, which reminds me of that disparity between coal prices and coal equities uh, just uh, a few months ago. So the question is, uh, is, is oil the new coal? And I, I, think, I think it might be. I think the opportunity that was available in coal stocks um, you know, earlier this year may now be present in oil stocks. So we've got a couple of oil recommendations uh, in Karoon and in Woodside. Now, they've both moved up a little bit, but they're hardly um, overpriced or, or crazily expensive, considering where the oil price is. I mean, the oil price is now at $80 US. And ordinarily, if I plug that into my Woodside calculation, I don't look, I don't use, I've got a Woodside spreadsheet, but I don't like to base all my recommendations on it because it's never right. But I, I, get, a, I get close to $40 on, on Woodside. With um, uh, with with the current oil price, and it's it's sort of twenty dollars, and there's a whole host of specific reasons why that's the case. Uh, a lot of them have to do with the piles of equity that Woodside is going to issue to be able to take on those BHP assets. So the market's already anticipating that, and and not bringing up the price of Woodside. I think that might actually be the opportunity. Is there is there like a three year oil price that that um tell? I mean, is the is the spot price reflective of what's going to happen over the next five, ten years? Look, um, there is more uh, diversity of opinion and uncertainty about the oil price now than almost at any other time than I can remember. And that's because everyone can see that there's a large disruption coming in the oil markets, right? So there's this big uh, push for EVs. Every auto manufacturer in the world, we've spoken about this before, fellas. Um, every auto manufacturer in the world is building, is ceasing their conventional um, uh, engine production and they're moving onto the EV platforms. So there's this big cliff. And, and I think it's sort of 80% of oil use is in the transport sector. So it's a, it's a big cliff coming for oil. Uh, we're not sure when that's coming, but that cliff is also being met with a um, expenditure strike. So something like $1 trillion of capital expenditure has been withdrawn over the last maybe five years or so, and an enormous volume. So there hasn't really been an investment in new supply, which, which is why the price now is rising so much. So how those two variables balance out is not obvious. And that's why I think that, that uncertainty may be the opportunity as well. You don't get an opportunity when something is, is blind obvious, right? So um, I think if you don't have any Unless it's oil, API. <laughs> or, or, or AO for that matter, yes. <laughs> yeah. But go on, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. Don't get a, you don't get a 10 bagger like you do Karoon, eh? Yeah, well, <laughs> yes. Um, or uh, just these coal stocks, guys, they, they, they still look half-priced to me, um, even after they've more than doubled. Um, 
But anyway, let's. I've gone. I've banged on enough about coal. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I think um, I think oil is is a real opportunity uh, at the moment. If you don't have oil exposure, um, you know we've had Woodside on our buy list for for, for a long, long time, and Karoon's been a more recent addition, but. It's been sitting there for a long time as well. It's moved up a little bit, but I still think um, there's probably it's it still probably looks quite interesting. What about at, what about um, sorry? What I was just going to say, say at yeah. sort of eighty at eighty dollar oil, Karoon is is you know a dollar fifty or something. It, it really is quite attractive. So you got to you know it's really hard coming coming up with price guides for these things because they're so dependent on oil. And as I said, I just I don't know what oil is going to be. But if you have an idea about oil, if you want to fit oil somewhere in your portfolio. Both those are quite decent ideas. I was just going to ask, what's um, so I'm reading in the papers all about energy prices in Europe and particularly gas prices. So they're in the UK, particularly having uh, or, or they're, they're facing the prospect of a big uh, energy crisis, apparently, um, because the Russians are not supplying enough mm. gas. They've they've turned off the tap to a degree. To the pipelines that flow into Germany, and I think, as I understand it, because the UK is at the end of that sort of pipeline, and after Brexit and everything, that everyone's taking their gas first, and the UK is not getting any. And oh, so, I see. Okay. So the prices have been going through the roof. Does that have an impact? I mean, so energy prices is. I mean, is it the case that energy prices are soaring everywhere, or is it is that just a localized sort of situation, and the the palms are better look out, but everyone else is uh, there's there's not going to be some sort of seventies style, you know, energy crisis. <laughs> so the oil price is global, and it's the same price with a few quality adjustments, um, basically everywhere. I mean, the Brent and and WTI price do change, but that that's a quality adjustment change. So. The oil price is global. Gas prices are regional, and they're regional because they require the the pipeline distribution to get them around. So, the gas price in the U.S., where they have their own distribution hubs, is different to the gas price in on the east coast of Australia, which is different to the gas price on the west coast of Australia. So, the gas price does differ. But the thing that link that is starting to link gas prices together is this LNG price. The LNG price used to be traded right off the oil price. There is now an LNG spot market, and that's pretty shallow. I must say, I don't pay a lot of attention to the LNG spot market. Most producers don't sell much into the spot spot market, so it's not very relevant, really. But um, when there is a gas gas um, a big divergence in the gas price, like there is in Europe at the moment. You do see LNG cargoes being diverted away from some place, in, usually in Asia, and so moving the, into the, Europe. The British government should be ordering LNG from Asia, should they? Is that the? Well, um, I'm not. I don't know if Britain has an LNG import terminal, but well, certainly, yeah, uh, I'm, in, I'm not sure they do. <laughs> I don't I'm think sure they, they do, but no. certainly others in Europe do. And Jeez, um, you need and to have one of those. They get most of their uh, LNG from Qatar. And uh, I think there's uh, a few other places, but they certainly don't get it from from, from this way. Um, but you might see that happen. As long as the Suez happen. Canal isn't blocked, eh? Oh, dear. Yeah, I know. There's all sorts of trouble, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, but I think if you're going to see an impact, you're going to see it in that LNG price, which is uh, which is quite nice for, for a stock like, like Woodside. Um, so does, does Woodside um, produce LNG as well? So it produces it, – it's obviously got pipelines running into WA and – Places, but um, does it also produce 
LNG that it can sort of sell around the world. So Woodside predominantly is an LNG producer, sort of 80% of their revenues come from LNG, but the LNG is, is mostly contracted, about 90% or so would be contracted most years. And the contract price is, with, is in reference to the oil price. So they'll actually do, do better out of the oil price rise than out of this crisis in, on gas prices. So whatever the LNG price does on the spot market is a small benefit to Woodside, but changes in that oil price are larger benefits. So they, they'll actually do quite well out of the current oil price spike, which is why I'm saying that at $80 oil, Woodside is crazy cheap at 20 bucks. Crazy cheap. There you it go. is. But, but I hasten to add, it's crazy cheap in the way that coal prices were crazy cheap and that I don't think it, it's, it's not just that people have not, re, have not joined those dots together. That's not what's happening. It's cheap because there's a significant level of uncertainty about future oil demand and, and that people are probably correctly uh, discounting, you know, adding a higher, higher risk rate um, to Woodside. And there's also all this, this ESG stuff going on. So there's a lot of funds now that just refuse to or cannot buy oil producers. And that might mean a permanent discount to the, um, to the PE ratio, uh, if you like. Um, so there's that as well. But as we've seen for coal, you know, it's easy to be short <laughs> um, sin stocks. And it's easy to, to talk about ESG when they're not making money. Uh, it's harder to do that when they're printing cash like coal stocks are now. And you can see that coal stocks have sort of two, three times, two, three bagged in a matter of months. And I think they're going to do a bit more. Uh, so look, I, I still think there's a, there's a reasonable opportunity in energy at the moment. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we were, in, we're in there probably a bit early, but I think being a bit early is the lot of <laughs> value investors. We always probably jump in there. If you're a good value investor, I think you're, you're going to be early. Yeah, don't all rush to agree with me, fellas. Um, <laughs> no, no, I'm always early. I'm, I'm always early. I'm always in early. I'm always out early. I'm, I've got used to it. <laughs> and I think, I think, I that's, think that's right. It works of, yeah. okay. Yeah, it works okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, um, so I'm guessing neither of you own any, any resource stocks, correct? I just oh, find yeah. it too hard to judge. I'm always yeah. interested by what you have to say, Gora, but I just, um, you know, it's that reliance on a commodity, which I find, I like, pricing power and all that which just seems to disappear when you when you're into mm. mining and energy stocks fair enough that's a, that's a reasonable answer actually well i think i mean <laughs> yeah. what 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 always tempts me mm. although i don't tend to buy them anyway is, is it's the idea of the lowest cost producer if you're the lowest cost producer then mm. then uh, you know the commodity price can do whatever it likes and uh, if it gets too low then your competitors are going to go out of business i quite like the sound of that but mm. um but you know the lowest cost producer really sort of leaves you with you know BHP and <laughs> maybe Woodside. I mean, uh, it has, Woodside's is one of the lowest cost producers, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah. But I guess what um, what I really like and why I always bang on about resources um, so much is is because the contest that you're able to get in resources is uniquely one sided in in the market. I mean, so many good investors. And JC, you know, uh, has just said that like he doesn't like buying them. Um, you, you're not alone, JC. Most, I would say most um, good investors just stay away from resources. They don't buy them, which means your competition in the market is 
Well, you know who it is. <laughs> it's it's not. I, I feel like you're flattering me, Gora, which is which is uh, to be encouraged. But um... <laughs> maybe they're building their records because they have avoided them, though, and that's why they're the good investors. Yeah, no, I think I think I think there's some there might be some truth in that. That's true. That's true. But um, if you if you apply the um, the intelligence and diligence to resources that you're willing to apply to other sectors who have who have factors that are quite unreliable too, so um, unknowable too. So you know, I think about retail. We've all bought retail stocks. Retail is oh, not for me, me for a long time. Okay, well, <laughs> because similar problems. <laughs> similar problems. Okay, well, you're, you're uniquely consistent then, JG, because most uh, most investors w- would be happy to buy a retail stock. Well, there you've got the very um, the vagaries of fashion and fads, and uh, and that's impossible to forecast. You know, you're banking, you've got interest rates which drive returns. In in tech, you've got well, you got you got all sorts of vagaries you can't predict. But I, I suppose it's it's competitive advantages, isn't it? And and so competitive advantages when you apply that to resources stocks gets you down to being the lowest cost producer. Yeah, I, guess. I think that's so, that's not the framework. I, I I wouldn't necessarily use the framework of competitive advantages in resource stocks. I think what you're trying to do is is watch the markets for irrationality and um it's very emotional driven so uh, the prices just get out of whack a long way on both sides and you don't get that huge um mispricing so consistently and so often like you know the the, the money we've we've done very well out of resources over the years and we've if you've if you've been paying attention we've done it the same way every time there's no there's no magic here we just we're repeating yeah, no, the same you have. thing i mean i i have to grant <laughs> you that um I just find I, yeah, I feel uncomfortable when I'm trying to second guess mm. a market, as it were. So yeah, when I'm I trying to say yeah, yeah, that yeah. a commodity price is too low or too high and has gotten mm. carried away, that I find I find that uncomfortable. And um, yeah, you have to be a bit of an arrogant prick to uh, to well, say that I'm right, everyone is wrong, and that explains why I do it. Yeah, and you don't. Or, or you at least have <laughs> to be prepared to. Yeah, I mean, look, I can see why the market can be short term and get carried away in its thinking um but there's there's a lot of money being made and lost in in you know oil oil futures and and stuff and i i find that it's dangerous well i you know it, it's not yeah that that's what that's what stops me i guess hmm. um but but even it, you know if the price does get carried away again it's always going to be to me it seems that the lowest cost producer who's better protected and more likely to make the most of opportunities and um seems that seems to be a very good place to be i mean if i did buy resources stocks i think that would be my focus but then you might get the trouble that if everyone recognizes that it's the low cost producer then it's always going to be trading at a well i think they don't though you see that's that's the thing it's the long-term short-term thing isn't it so Mm -hmm. the the low cost producer is is the one that really has the long-term advantages Whereas, you know, so when the short term price swings, you know, that the when people start being greedy, it's the it's the weaker players which you can see uh, doubling or trebling or ten bagging quickly. And so maybe there I, I feel yeah. that there is likely to be the crowded trade. Whereas the yeah, lowest cost producers, the BHPs, they're they're just too boring. So people you know yeah, there's but, definitely some truth in that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but um but it's just something to think about, you know. Um yeah, I, mean, I, th- I think there's, there's if yeah, there, there's a, what I like about um, the work in resources is that there's a process you can apply and reliably get returns. And we've been doing it for 10 years. 
and uh, it, you know, I, I just think there, if, if there's so there's such a dearth of rationality in that sector that if you apply a bit of rationality and apply a bit of patience, all these things that we're happy to apply in all other sectors, if you apply it there, the returns are just so predictable <laughs> and then come around so often that it, it makes it quite attractive. Well, I, I've got to, I've got to agree that. You know, you you you've said that for ten years, and it's been a good approach. So, um, you know, I've been missing out. <laughs> ah, well, we've, we've got ale and uh, and plenty of other stocks. Oh, now, um, <laughs> speaking of plenty of other stocks, JC, we've got a we've got a quite an interesting one that you've brought to the table at the moment with the ticker code MVP, no less. I wonder if <laughs> <laughs> what that says about it. Well, we were talking I about. I can't this imagine you'd like that. I, I, I'm mm. I'm slightly uncomfortable with stocks with what seem to be mm. gaggy or promotional sort of ticker codes. It seems like the focus is in the wrong direction. But um, look, most valuable player for anyone who's who's wondering what what that means oh yeah sorry but, we should um, explain that not everyone might know, what you that know is. Yeah. maybe maybe mdi is taken by someone else is it i don't know i haven't looked it up but um mm. look i think that that's that's you know that, that they've been that for a long time and and management has changed and that's i suppose a crucial point jay so you've got a quite an interesting take on this this is a business you looked at a little while ago and um decided to pass on now you've come back a second time and um, and we've upgraded it this time. It, it's quite. I, I always find it interesting um, when it when you look at a stock, the same stock, at a different time, and come to a different decision. Just tell us a little bit about that the business, and then maybe talk about well, what's changed to prompt the upgrade. I'll, t- I'll, I'll do it the other way around, if I may. Okay, um, yeah, of course, go ahead. Because because what's changed is quite simple. Nothing nothing has changed except mm. for management, really. And which is everything. Everything's changed. Which, which, is, which is everything, yeah. I mean, look, I don't normally put so much – normally I look at management as being in, in a sort of negative kind of a way and I put red flags when I don't like it. And I, I, I do seek out owner-managers, but, um, but I don't really tend to award too many points for a strong management um, just because I find it too hard to judge. But sometimes, you know, the differences are stark and, and – Sometimes it's not only the operational sort of performance that you, you that you get, but also the credibility that it lends a stock, both in terms of the investment opportunity, but also in terms of its ability to roll a product out in the marketplace. And mm. and if you have the right executives who know the right people in the in the industry and and have credibility when they go and talk to regulators we'll have to say what the thing does in a moment but um <laughs> yes, so, so, right. so, <laughs> so this is medical developments international what it does is it makes um a thing called the green whistle so um it's uh, um penthrox is the um, drug that goes in it which is also called which is the trade name for methoxyfluorane which is an analgesic um, and they put it in one of these green whistles. People might be might might, might have come across them. Um, hopefully, you're, you're feeling better if you did, um, because they're given for sort of pain relief, uh, for primarily for trauma. So if you break a leg, uh, you know, um, you get uh, badly stung by or d- dislocate a shoulder or something like that. Um, at the beach, you might be given one of these. Um, by a surf lifesaver, you might be given one of these by uh, a fire engine, um, a fireman, or or a, uh, by a an fire engine. But so and and they give what you. What a day they, that was. 
I think they might be giving you something else, JC, if if the fire engine's giving you Maybe you just thought it was a fire engine after taking the drug. (laughs) (laughs) Well, John was talking about his his mate who uh, goes to... Because fire fire engines um, uh, attend car crashes often, don't they? Oh, yeah, yeah. Isn't that what he was saying? And And so, anyway, look, if you're in a bad spot and you need some pain relief, it gets you from that bad spot to hospital where they can maybe uh, administer something a bit more effective and a bit more, Hmm. um, you know, they've got the, they've got the, the uh, infrastructure to give you things, uh, other kinds of things. So, you know, they're very quick and easy. You, you you know, pull a cord as it were on this whistle um, and within six to eight breaths, you're getting pretty good pain relief. um, And uh, it goes for about half an hour. Now, they used to use these all around the world. Abbott Laboratories had a product called the Analgizer in the 70s and the 80s. And they were using it, Penthrox, as, a, as an anesthetic. Um, but those anesthetic doses were much higher and people started getting kidney problems. So it fell out of use. And I suppose the baby, around the rest of the world, the baby went out with the bathwater because they stopped using it for this tra- traumatic pain relief. Um, except for in Australia and New Zealand, where they've kept going with it, subject to strict limitations. So you can only have the dose that comes in the green whistle, um, and you can only have two whistles a day, and you can't use it on consecutive days, and you can have a maximum of four a week. I think that's the; those are the sort of protocols. And um, but subject to that, uh, it's it's actually developed a pretty good safety record. So the company has now taken that. Uh, to Europe in particular, it's trying to, it's got approvals over most of Europe, um, a lot of Asia as well, um, and Russia, and they're trying, and Canada, in fact, they're trying to get approval in the US and China, which of course would be very big markets. But at the moment, the focus is uh, is on Europe um, and rolling it out there, which is a huge opportunity. What is it? Um, 30 times the population of Australia. And if you get the same penetration in Europe as you do here, then you get some definitely interesting looking numbers. But the so so to go back to management, what was what was interesting was that when I first looked at this um, last year, um, the management um, and in that article last year, I actually linked to a uh, um, uh, a podcast, a, a chief executive interview that Alan Kohler did, um, and you know I just <laughs> I felt that the management was a little bit on the promotional side and uh it just sort of made me it, it's a it's a funny thing that because it just sort of makes you doubt everything else really and so all the things they were saying you it just the glass you know to coin a phrase was was half empty um and and actually it's it's funny because then that that article that or that research got put to one side and and um because the this was in March last year and everything mm. blew up. Of course. And so yeah, by the yeah. time we eventually published this article, management, that management had actually been removed, <laughs> um, and uh, which was which made it a bit more interesting. Mm. But look, you know, once you, you know, I, I wasn't in, in a mood to sort of change. We didn't, we didn't know who was going to come in at that point. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, given the previous chief executive, you don't know who's going to, you know, you assume that something similar is going to be, that's the, the sort of culture, I suppose, you, you think you, you're, you're stuck with. So we looked and um, I put it on the back burner 
Um, and then these two um, former CSL executives, uh, Gordon Naylor and Brent McGregor, uh, came in, the former as chairman. Um, so they were, um, Gordon Naylor was previously CFO of CSL between 2010 and 2015. And then he was put in charge of their new Sequirus or Sequirus, I'm not sure how you say that, vaccine subsidiary, um, which merged with the Novartis uh, influenza vaccines business, um, of which Brent McGregor was in charge. Um, and they were then uh, to the main players. I mean, Gordon Day was president, McGregor was chief commercial officer or something. I mean, it's a slightly strange name, but I think he was basically the main man uh, beneath Gordon Naylor. Um, uh, and they did a great job at Securus, um, turning it around from being loss-making to uh, profitable um, in five years till 2020. I think they had a little bit of luck. Graham might be able to tell me better, but I think they had a little bit of, well, not luck. I mean, you make your own luck, but they, they made a quadrivalent um, flu vaccine, which uh, has done very well for them. And so I, I think the turnaround has a lot to do with sort of one uh, big achievement. Um, but nonetheless, look, they did a great job there and they're serious uh, pharmaceutical industry players and they came in. McGregor's taken a lot of his incentive in the form of uh, options. Uh, Naylor bought a million dollars worth of stock um, mm. straight away, a bit more actually, I think. Because uh, the price is like higher, um, and then not, not has option, doubled but, but that on recently. On What's market that? stock. On, on market, market stock. yeah, and yeah, and doubled and that he, bought, he doubled that recently after their hmm. result. Interesting. Um, around three ninety, um, and so look, these guys. I just think they give the company a far better chance of. They know how to roll, you know, a product out globally. Um, they know how to get uh, approvals around the place. They know who to speak to in the U.S. Brent McGregor was originally, um, he's a Canadian, I think, but he but spent a lot of time in the U.S. Um, you know, he knows the people over there. Um, Gordon Ed is based in the U.K. Um, and, you know, all of a sudden you're looking at this and the gas all of a sudden is half full. Um, and so where before I just presumed that competition, so because they don't have any IP over the actual drug here. It's a very simple molecule. Um, anyone can make it. Uh, but apparently it's quite hard to make it, uh, to, to, to do so. And they have a patented process to do that. And their mm -hmm. delivery mechanism, of course, which is so important at keeping the doses, uh, you know, within limits, um, is they have some intellectual property over that. So can we just go back to that? So the, yeah. the, the business actually doesn't own the drug. It, it's a, um, it's a, the delivery mechanism that is, that's their IP, correct? Well, uh, yeah, they're not particularly clear about what exactly it is about that IP. Because the, the, so the analgizer in the 70s or 80s, whatever it was, um, that was a similar kind of um, mechanism. Hmm. That was a thing that you sort of sucked on. You can see if you go, if you Google it, you can see pictures of it. Um, doesn't look at, you know, completely different. So right. I don't know what it is about the Penthrox okay. um, inhaler, the green whistle that makes it different from that. But there is some IP over that. Okay. Um, and they are developing new ones. Um, so JC, would you consider this to be a device business or a drug business? 
Oh, I would say it's a device and a manufacturing business, I suppose. So you could possibly, maybe, interesting way is to think of it as a sort of generic drug manufacturer combined with a device business. Yeah, right. Um, so it doesn't have, it's not a pharmaceutical business in terms of having IP over um, particular drugs. I'm not sure the market sees this, it that way. What's that? I, I, I'm not sure the market sees it that way. I've just, I've just, this listening and reading um, comment, other people's commentary on medical developments I, I think they've most people get this wrong get this business wrong it's been treated like a uh like a kind of a um, a pharmaceutical business and it, it sounds like it's probably not yeah i would say it's not and i suppose I, I suppose what you mean by that that people are feeling that it's in trials and yeah that it's developing drugs that um yeah. that this is actually a drug business not a delivery drug delivery business <laughs> And there's, there's yeah, I mean, look, I think I'm not sure what difference that. I mean, I suppose the difference there is that the approval it's seeking in the U.S. and China. I mean, it does have that oh, yeah. 40 year track record in yep. in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the difference is that they know that the drug works. Yes. Whereas a lot of pharmaceutical companies are yeah. trying to work out whether it works. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. We know it works, and we know it's safe within these doses. Yeah. Um, and so the U.S. the FDA is particularly concerned with making sure. They talk about human factors, human factor trials. So they're concerned about making sure that the way it's used and the the delivery mechanism, um, you know, you know, ensures that it is used in a safe fashion. Um, but uh, sorry, I forgot what I was going to say. There. Sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but the, I mean, the fact that it doesn't have IP over the main drug. And the IP over the delivery mechanism is probably limited. Um, means that it is possible that a competitor could appear, and if suddenly they start selling, you know, millions of these things in, uh, you know, China and the US, you'd think there was a good chance that a competitor would see that and see the forty percent plus margins and think, well, I'll have some of that. Um, but you know. The problem there is that the market that that competitor would be entering is ne- it w- would then be half the size, let, let's say. I mean, they would start w- as a minor player against a, a dominant um, other player. But they, you know, let's say they get half the market, the margins are likely to be less because it would be more competitive. So the prize to any new competitor is going to be that much smaller than the, than the market that, that they were tempted by in the first place. So I, you know, it's it's possible that that puts off it's a small niche you know it's not um thankfully not too many people each year need one of these things mm. about one in a hundred in australia i think it is um so you know i i think as i say when you start looking at it through the lens of the new management you just sort of it, it makes everything look a little bit more appealing mm. and um and that's really changed my i mean the price is a bit cheaper as well so that helps um so, uh, talking of which, the price is a bit cheaper, but it jumped sharply after we upgraded it, unfortunately, which is a pity. Um, uh, I was able to, I bought some myself two days later. I have to wait two two days because um, we had to give members the opportunity to, to buy stock. And I hope that some were able to buy it at the 420 upgrade price, but um, it pretty quickly got up towards $5. So that's... Ooh, okay. um, Five dollars is our buy price. I paid a little bit more than that. Mm. Um, I mean, we haven't downgraded it yet. You know, it, 
with this sort of stock, it's hard to draw lines in the sand. So, um, you know, we don't want to be chopping and changing too much. So, and JC, um, can you just talk about its uh, its balance sheet and um, and cash position because it's still spending money at this point? Is do you think it's going to need to raise equity? As I well, think it. Would? I think it's a chance. Um, mm. I mean, it's got thirty million odd of dollars. It's going to spend a lot of that this year, um, mm. ramping up. So it's it's um, it's taken back uh, a lot of the distribution in Europe uh, to in-house, and it's spending money now in Europe this year to sort of try to get um, that all set up uh, for growth. Yeah. So I, I think you know that cash could disappear quite quickly, and if and if the revenues don't start appearing in a couple mm. of years' time, then it could mm. disappear disappear entirely. But you know. How much more? I mean, look, it, the market cap is sort of three hundred million, hmm. and if it needs another thirty million, that's a ten percent dilution. Yeah, um, which would be a pity, but yeah. I think not catastrophic. So yeah. you know, that's what I, I can't see it needing more than ten or twenty percent dilution. Yeah, I, I do um, think sometimes that that is another another source of opportunity. Occasionally, when a business. It, it's sometimes it's clear that a business needs capital or might need capital, and the market starts discounting that stock, kind of ir, ir, regardless of the scale of the cap raising, and uh, and often that can be an opportunity as well. Uh, the number of number of times I've waited for a cap raise instead of just buying the stock and then dealing with a cap raise, it's it's almost it's mostly been the wrong decision. Ordinate's an interesting one on that mm. because you know it raised money last year and. You know, for the sake of ten, I forget how much it was, but but for the sake of ten percent or so of its um, mm. share capital, it was able to completely sort of copper bottom its its, uh, its balance sheet. And I mean, there's a difference, I suppose, between a company that's got far too much debt. Yes, um, that's correct. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah. suddenly needs to replace that with equity, and you yeah. suddenly need to raise half your market cap. Um, but companies which have a great opportunity are valued quite highly. Investors mm. are. Uh, quite keen to preserve their share of that, uh, as they were with Ordinate, and, and, and as I think they would be with this. I mean, mm. it means that you can raise that, you know, little little bits and bobs. I mean, obviously, you don't want to have to keep doing that for ten years, but um, you know, I think that uh, you you you're not going to be too diluted before we get to see whether this is going to work. And that's you know if it's not going to work if it's not if if the Europeans don't like it if it doesn't get a pr approval in um, the US and China then you know well we're not going to do very well which is why it's a speculative buy but we're, it's we're actually I think a really good point um, the in, in my stock universe the situation that makes that point about debt quite nicely is what happened with AMA versus with what what happened with Aussie Broadband now both stocks raise capital. AMA did so to repair a dicey balance sheet and Aussie did so to pursue some growth projects. And the outcomes have just been really stark with AMA getting crunched and Aussie Broadband barely missing a beat uh, in terms but of Aussie share Broadband price. was just raising 5 or 10% of its um, Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's a, guessing, it's a smaller... Yeah, and, that, and, that, and, and people are keen to give it to them. You know, people, mm. people, you know, it's got investors on the balance sheet who really want, you know, want to see it take advantage of the opportunity it's got and they're saying here have some money whereas ama everyone's like well really <laughs> yeah but i think that a lot of that has to do with um raising cap to replenish a balance sheet and and raising capital to pursue a growth project i think those two are very different very different circumstances and we should 
look for that um, opportunity sometimes. Sometimes the market does, um, you know, a, a situation where a company raises money to pursue a growth project it still kind of gets um, gets thumped around. It's something I, I quite like looking for. Well, I suppose it, it depends if the market's been telling everyone it's got plenty of cash, it's not going to need money. Then, yeah, true. you know, the fact that it suddenly says it does need some money mm. is uh, a reflection on its performance. But this is, I mean, going back to medical developments, this is a management that's come in and it says, right, we're going to set this company up for growth. We've raised a bit of money. They raised money last December, you see. That's why they've mm. got that, that, that 30 million. Um, and... Uh, you know they've 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 said that we're, we're pretty comfortable for a couple of years, but but naturally it it, it um, depends on on whether those revenues start coming through. So if it does need to raise capital in a year or two time, look, I'm not saying it's going to be a, a walk in the park, but uh, I don't think long term shareholders should be too concerned. Uh, a walk in the park, I remember those as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, this sounds like a really good idea. Um, actually, it's a, it's really nice when you come back to a stock and able to um, look at, at it with still fresh eyes. I often find after I've looked at a business, it's very difficult to get a different perspective to change my mind on it. And um, it's easier to do, I agree, when there's a something has changed in the business, like management. But it's it's a good um, it's a good mental skill to be able to be so flexible. I like it. Well, I took it. It took, it took me a year to come back. To <laughs> I mean, management changed yeah. in uh, sort of September, October last year, and um, but fortunately, the price is a bit cheaper. Yeah, um, so it actually worked out okay. Then, so it, 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 we didn't miss out on too much. But um, now, Graham, uh, being our resident scientist over there, and uh, and I know a lover of uh, medical stocks, um, would love your opinion on this one as well, if you've got one. Yeah, I think it's a really good idea. Uh, the thing that I like about it is that I can see it developing a brand. And although it does sell a generic medicine and it has some IP and the delivery uh, and approvals, which are all very valuable, but ultimately over the long term, norm normally you would see a generic manufacturer kind of, well, lose its margin and then end up uh, doing quite poorly. Mm. But what I like about uh, MVP is that it seems to be building a brand around that in this green whistle that people are asking for a green whistle, not just hydroxyfluorine or whatever it is inside. Methoxy. And <laughs> methoxyfluorine. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I think that that can, it can mean that it can maintain that value over time. There are other brands that work in a very generic market like um, Panadol in the paracetamol market. It's mm. able to charge three times what a generic paracetamol yeah, that's a good uh, point. tablet yeah, yeah. will be. And that's just the brand. It's exactly the same thing inside the tablet. So That drives me crazy. That... If I'm ever in a pharmacy and I see someone buying Panadol, I, I have to fight myself to, approach, to not approach them and tell them to buy a generic instead. I don't, <laughs> that's like throwing money away. I don't, I don't get that, but, but there you go. Yeah. Well, it just goes to show that there are still people that will, when it comes to health, and maybe pain relief in particular, uh, brand power matters. And yeah. I think MVP is building a brand around its hmm. generic. I mean, the, the slight weakness with that is that, uh, you know, there are gatekeepers. So it's not as if people are walking into the pharmacy and asking for, uh, you know, can I get but a gate, couple of, couple of green whistles to gatekeepers can fall for go. brands as well. Yeah, they do. So, but but the point is that you're yeah. So so it's the it's the fireman and the ambulanceman and the and and, and the I fire mean, trucks. I should say that they're also <laughs> they're also trying to um, use this increasingly in hospitals for sort of short day surgeries, biopsies, and that sort of thing. So, um, so anyway, the the people who are who are sort of you know when you've 
lying there in in great pain, having broken your leg in the skate park, you know you'll take what you're given by the ambulance man. And uh, so, you, but so that brand has to wash really with them rather than with the the end consumer. But it, but it does provide some comfort that knowing that that's exactly the thing that's been going well in Australia and New Zealand for forty years. JC, I feel as though there's a there's a really interesting story about your experience with Penthrox, um, but we will save that for another. No, no, time. I've never I've never had any. I've <laughs> I've, I've, I've in researching. Uh, uh, the articles and and actually last year particularly I was looking used for, it many times. No, no. Well, I, there's lots of YouTube videos. Jeez, if you want to have a bit of, um, uh, if you've got half an hour to kill, you can look up lots of people in who who are in fleeting pain until they start sucking on one of these things and uh, then they start talking some very interesting gobbledygook. <laughs> well, look. That's, that's speaking of interesting gobbledygook. I, I think that uh, that. Probably we should wrap up ours uh, right there. Oh, and that is a masterful segue, gents. Come on, that's pretty good. good. Unrehearsed. Um, That's an excellent um, idea. JC, uh, members can, or anyone listening, can check that article out on the website that's up. Um, So Yeah, I mean, do beware. I mean, look, it's I've just seen it. So it's 522 um at the moment um, Jeez, wow so look we've still got our speculative bar on it but but it's a five dollar buy price but you know i mean look this is roughly what i paid i've got to say because i just sort of thought well 20 cents here and there but it, look it, it it's a speculative situation the price does matter because that just improves your odds um so look i think a bit of patience um and look be aware that you know if it if it gets much higher then we, we, we'll have to be downgrading it uh back to hold so look you know the opportunity is is sort of just about there ish um but uh um you know keep it keep an eye on it and a bit of patience hopefully um geez we'll yeah see. that's a bit of a dampener end on the opportunity well, no, look, is there ish <laughs> i mean look, i'm just trying, i mean look, the article was published at 420 that was yeah. what that's i mean when i started looking at it it was below four bucks um yeah. and um look I, I i you know for for um transparency i i just bought some on friday for 521 um so look i you know but um but i'm taking a long term view of that i've got a very high tolerance risk for risk um i you know and so look um you definitely improve your odds by by getting a cheaper price no so, jc uh, there's no way i can buy it above 521 now you can't have yeah, for 519 <laughs> yeah, i'll take 519 i'll take 520 yeah, yeah. can't can't do more than that <laughs> all right um, is karoon below where you bought it i'd love to uh, buy no some it's, of that. it's way above where i bought oh, it oh, yeah, shame. No, yeah, i, I mean that, when i say i'd right love to buy some of that just to spite you when it, when it, <laughs> i've missed actually oh, okay. have you noticed the pattern here every time i recommend a stock it tanks straight away and every time you recommend a stock it, it flies but Karun, you said it's gone up it's gone up but it tanked out after i first recommended it most of the I stocks did. i first recommend fall um straight away oh well i don't okay. know what that says <laughs> um no, I don't think it. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's rhyme or reason. I think, look, smaller stocks. I mean, the bigger stocks when we recommend them, I don't think we have any impact really. But smaller stocks, it does seem we do, mm. can have a bit of an impact. So look, I guess everyone wants to just, um, you know, have some patience and, um, yeah. All right, gents, let's wrap this up. Uh, JC, thanks very much for your time and insights today. Pleasure. And Graham, as always, thanks for staying up. I know it's probably an ungodly hour over there in Vancouver. Good of you to, to lend us your, your time. Thank you, Gaurav. 
And for everyone else, thanks for listening.